a podcast one production. Wait, JK, I need to hold on. Uh. <laughs> and hit it. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens, and welcome <laughs> to another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly gist <laughs> podcast with me, Jacob Stanley, and Rosie Waterland. And we are, yes, both absolutely obsessed with Joe Exotic, Tiger King. And we are going to talk about it, but the main topic of today's podcast this week, Rosie, is going to be... Oh, I haven't told you yet, but this week I will be giving you just the gist of JonBenet Ramsey. Oh, is that the little pageant queen girl? Yes. We went. In- oh, excellent. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But first, I just want to get to it really fast because there's so much to talk about. Uh-huh. So ready? Yes. <gasps> breaking news, <laughs> breaking news, extra, extra, read all about it, breaking news. I got the scoop, see? <laughs> I feel like I've got it quite down pat. It works. Changes a little bit each time. Look, it's organic. It's an organic living thing, the breaking news intro. It's going to evolve, yes. A lot of people have messaged me and said, like, there's all those grim, like, breaking news um, segments on TV at the moment. And whenever they see it in their head, they hear me going, breaking news. (laughs) (laughs) That makes them feel better. (laughs) You're providing a service. Providing a service. Okay. So, first of all, forget Corona, Tiger King. Literally the last week all anyone has talked about is coronavirus and Tiger King. Mm. That's it. Mm -hmm. The darkest thing possible to talk about and then that thing that brings us so much joy, this incredible documentary about Joe Exotic and all of his cats and all the characters in his life. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I'd shoot you before I'd shoot one of my cats. (laughs) <laughs> so for those who haven't um, seen it or heard of it, first of all, what the F, what have you been doing? I mean, you're in isolation, but it's a documentary series on Netflix. It's seven episodes and it is about a guy in America who owns a, a big cat sanctuaries on the side of a road. So he has like tigers and lions and ligers because he crossbreeds them and tiger cubs and stuff. And it starts off just this weird documentary about this guy with tigers, but then it just goes on murderous twists and turns and it's cray cray. And my everyone's got a favourite line. Jacob did one at the start. What was it? Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Cool cats. And, mine is, I am gay. I am broke as shit. <laughs> 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 Which will be you soon if this virus doesn't end. I'm outspoken, good looking, love to party and have fun. <laughs> I love it so much. First of all, what I want to say Carol Baskin, she killed her husband. She killed her first husband. And where did the body go? Well, she fed it to the tigers. Yeah. This is not a spoiler, by the way. And there's no so doubt. No, it's not a spoiler already. Like, if you haven't seen it, it's your fault. But- no doubt in my mind, she killed her husband. <laughs> and you can tell her second husband, her current one's petrified of her because he follows her around like a puppy dog. And she occasionally gets that glint in her eye like she wants to. Deck in one. There is literally images from their wedding where he's crawling around on his hands and knees wearing a cat pelt <laughs> and a leash. 
he's got a collar on and she's walking him around by a leash while she's wearing her wedding dress and her signature flower crown. A flower crown. And by the way, I love that she doesn't realise that she is doing exactly the same thing to the animals that all the rest of them are. Like, she's probably the biggest scammer of them all because she passes hers off as animal conservation and she doesn't have to pay anyone because she gets them all to volunteer. Like, it's a charity. And that is the genius thing that she's turned she's volunteering there into a game where there's different levels that you can make it to and these fanatics are just dying to get their hands on the next coloured T-shirt that they're allowed to have based on the amount of service that they give. I think we need to do a Just the Gist on Tiger King eventually. Maybe maybe in a few weeks when most people have seen it. But, like, I was reading today an interview with um, the two directors um, and, first of all, Carol Baskin has come out and said that she's really upset and they sold it to her as, like, the blackfish of tigers, like it was going to be mm. about, you know, animals in captivity and now, and it's all just salacious and about her dead husband and um, and the director was like, you know, we spent hours and hours talking to her about her childhood and her husband and, and what happened with her husband and all the dramas going on with Joe Exotic. Like, at what point did she think this was a Blackfish-style documentary? And yeah. also he was like, and I think it's really ridiculous, the fact that she just doesn't seem to have an intellectual understanding of the fact that she is not in any way involved in animal conservation and it's bizarre mm. to me that she insists that she is. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing I read, which was my favourite, is that he said over the last few days and weeks, Joe Exotic has been calling him from prison so freaking excited that he's finally the level of famous that he always wanted to be. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> he is loving it. <laughs> so there's a weird irony in the end. Yes. And yeah. you can just imagine what's going to happen with his profile from here on out oh, as big well. Time. Because there are so many people who've taken his side. And I mean, there are a lot of moments where he's immensely likable. And mm-hmm. then there are a lot of moments where you really think, oh, he should probably actually stay exactly where he is in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's just so watchable. So, I saw a tiger and a tiger saw a man. <laughs> is that your favourite of his songs? Oh, my God. Yeah, I think that's my favourite one. And also the one where Carol Baskin's feeding hands to kitty, the kitty, animals. Kitty. <laughs> yes, that is my absolute favourite kitty, kitty kitty. Oh, my God. So it is just. Go and watch it if you haven't already seen it. It is so crazy. It is. It, It's one of the best documentary series I've ever watched. And also I wanted to tell people that a friend of mine told me to watch um, an old Louis Theroux episode where he did an episode on Joe Exotic like 10 years ago. So it's a Louis Theroux ep called America's Most Dangerous Pets where Louis went around to a few different um, animal parks in America interviewing people who own dangerous animals. But because Joe Exotic was, like, the most interesting of them all, he's pretty much the focus of the whole episode. And it is nuts to see him, like, ten years ago. First of all, he looks so much younger. And um, second of all, he's not as cray-cray, but he is a little bit cray-cray. Like, you can see it kind of breaking through. Yes. So, highly recommend. That's on... um, most of Louis throws stuff's on stand, so that's where I saw it. I'm so the second we hang up from this call, that is absolutely oh. what I'm watching. It is so good. It is so good. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Any other <laughs> breaking news? Breaking news. Um. Well, I will say something quite lovely that my psychiatrist said when I went to see him the other day. 
he said, um, we were talking about how everyone's gone into isolation and stuff. And he said, um, besides all the obvious stuff, that um, the COVID virus is actually a profound attack on human connection. And I was like, that's very true. That is really, like, that really got me thinking in a deep way that I don't usually do. Mm. And so he was just talking a lot about how it's really important right now to stay connected with people as much as you can. He said, don't just message them, call them. And if you are calling, try and do like face-to-face calls, like FaceTime calls or whatever. There's that great new app called House Party where you can just like have virtual parties with all your buddies all the time. And um, and everyone's like laughing about how we're having to meet up in different ways and do all this stuff. But it is actually really important to stay human, mm. feel humanly connected to other people, particularly as the rules get stricter and stricter and stricter and we're pretty much not allowed to do anything except work and grocery shop now. So I just thought that was a nice little thing that he said to me. It is. And I have to say, I love the little accidental things that happen when you're doing something like a Zoom party or a house party, like the other day when you and I were on house party kind of by accident and you were in bed naked with someone and then (laughs) I introduced you to my uncle who was in the background and then your mum just jumped on from wherever (laughs) she was as well. Um, So you can have those really sort of beautiful serendipitous moments with It was really weird. Me naked with Caleb, you, your uncle on the Central Coast, my mum out near Campbelltown, just all ended up on this random <laughs> call together. It was really funny. And by the way, I'm uh, calling in from the Central Coast from my uncle's place, so apologies yes. if the sound quality is not fantastic and also apologies if you can hear my uncle in the bathroom, which is next to the room where I'm currently recording, because <laughs> I can certainly hear him. Well, the sound quality of, you know, probably the next next couple of months eps is going to be a bit weird, a bit different, but we're adjusting because mm. we have to do this from different places, obviously. But um, we're still going to be bringing you that sweet, sweet Just The Gist content, so don't you worry. Mm-hmm. We're psyched. Speaking of um, being in quarantine naked with Caleb, this has really turbocharged our relationship, let me tell you, because we both work <laughs> from home and so, like, a week ago or a little bit over a week ago, we were like, oh, well, we're both working from home, so why don't we hang out together for, you know, a few days or a week or so? Because he's Adelaide-based. So he drove to Sydney from Adelaide. It's like a long drive. It took him about a day and a half. He stopped overnight. Um, and the day he got to my house, they announced that uh, South Australia was closing its borders. <laughs> and he'd just come from South Australia. So if he goes back now... He has to go into two weeks of self-isolation and everything's kind of shutting down now and going into lockdown. And so now we're just kind of stuck with each other for an indefinite amount of time because they're saying that you shouldn't travel anywhere if you don't need to. So um, it's been interesting. We've only been dating since December and now we're like essentially living together. We had a huge argument about his belly button last night. So that's where the cabin (laughs) fever's taken us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he had to do a live cross to Sky uh, from my bedroom last week. It's all been a bit weird. It's been a bit funny. But um, tell you what, if we come out the other side of this, we might as well get married because it feels like we've been together for 25 years, let me tell you. I bet, yeah. I mean, the stakes <laughs> are pretty high for you to find a way to make it work. So, Well, because not only are we living together, but we're together like 
24 hours a day because yeah. we're just like, I have this um, back office room that I usually just call my brain. I call it my brain room because I don't use it and I just fill it with junk. Like there's, you've seen it. It's just, it's basically mm-hmm. like a glorified storage closet. And after a few days I w- of us both working out of the living room, I was like, yeah, this isn't going to do. And I spent about eight hours on Saturday feverishly cleaning out the office and setting up a desk in there so I could just put him in there and close the door during the day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at least now we're working in separate rooms, which is nice. <laughs> he listens to 2GB while he does his journalism and I watch TV while I write my fart stories. <laughs> Hey, if you get the opportunity to post a before and after of your lounge room, by the way. Oh, yeah, I should. That is one of the most inspiring things I've seen in a while. And if I had a house anymore, <laughs> I would absolutely have followed your lead and rearranged some things. Well, yeah, so I totally rearranged my lounge room the other day. And I've actually read that um, uh, homeware sales are going up because people are stuck at home and they're getting sick of what their house is like. So everybody's like rearranging and redoing. And um, even Caleb was writing a story today about the fact that um, op shops are getting overwhelmed with people dumping things there because they're all closed because they're not allowed Mm -hmm. to be open. Also, they're often run by volunteers who are elderly people who can't work, but everybody's stuck at home and wanting to rearrange their houses and like uh, like upgrade their furnishings and stuff. So all of this like higher than usual amount of stuff is getting dumped outside op shops and there's nowhere to put it. Because <laughs> when everyone's at home, they just want to queer eye their houses, like everyone's redecorating. And I'm sure that a lot of people are finally getting rid of their throw pillows with slogans written live laugh love yeah those ones um, <laughs> and the self or on like them. no they won't want oh. them or the ones that say like wine o'clock yeah all the basic susan throw pillows <laughs> <laughs> just keep in mind if you don't want it chances are no one else wants it i tell you what though around my area if you put something out on the street it is gone by the time you wake up the next day mm-hmm. people love taking stuff i suppose a lot of students live around where i am mm-hmm. And when I was a student, my entire house was filled with street furniture. So I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Now, anyway. are we going to get on to Jean Benet now? Yes, we are. So that was... Do, 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 do. You know, I know nothing about this. Do you know nothing about this? Nothing whatsoever. I know she was a small girl. I know that she disappeared. I know that there's some sort of conspiracy, but I have no idea who the different players are. Oh, so that's why... Because when I said it to you, I was expecting you to go, oh, my God, and you just looked kind of like, oh, and I was like, F you. <laughs> no, no, I just had to run one. through files in my brain to be like, I know that name. Yes, sort of, Yes, it's a little beauty queen. You no, know I love a pageant story. All right, well, let's get into it. JonBenet Ramsey is, mm-hmm. um, yes, uh, a six-year-old who was very sadly uh, murdered in uh, 1996 People call her the six-year-old beauty queen, and that's because after she was murdered, the media um, found a whole lot of photos of her in pageants because her mum was one of those mums who would put her into beauty pageants. And I think the story was big because she was a a very, like, a very wealthy little white girl from a very, like, wealthy neighbourhood, which would make news anyway. But then Mm. once the media found the footage of her in pageants and the photos of her in pageants, the story just became international 
news mm. because people were obsessed with it. But we'll get to that, I guess. Um, okay, so I'm going to just start at the start and then I'm going to tell you a couple of theories about what happened because the case is remains opened. It's, it remains open. It's never been solved. But I have my theory and um, mine is the correct one, I think. Allegedly. Allegedly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Jean-Benet Ramsey was born on August 6, 1990. She had an older brother, Burke, who was three years older than her. So he was born in 87. So, you know, they'd all be around our age now if she had lived. Their mm. parents were John and Patsy Ramsey. And she was actually called Jean-Benet because her dad's name was John Bennett Ramsey. And so they decided to be like unique. They feminized it and Frenchified it. So John Bennett became Jean Bennet. She's named after her dad. Her family was rich as F. Um, her dad was founder and CEO of like this computer kind of technology company that um, in the year that she died had turned over something like a billion dollars. So it was a, it was a lot of money. Like they lived in um, a freaking huge house in Boulder in Colorado, which is a very uh, wealthy area. They um, had, you know, holiday houses all over the place. Um, they also flew everywhere in their own private jet. So they had like that kind of money. They had originally lived in Atlanta, Georgia, which is like part of the deep south. Is that, is that the accent? Wait. Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. Al Georgia. Georgia. Atlanta. 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 Anyway, <laughs> we can sort that out later. Um, <laughs> so beauty pageants um, and that culture is really huge in the deep south. Patsy had grown up there and she'd been crowned Miss West Virginia when she was at university when she was 23 years old. Um, she married John about a, be about a year later. She'd basically been trained and raised to be a, a wife, a trophy wife. You know, she studied just like arts at university and was in a sorority and did pageants and then met her rich husband. They moved to Boulder in Colorado when Jean Bonnet was still young. And that's not a state with a massive beauty pageant culture like southern Georgia, but there is still a pageant scene. And Patsy got Jean Bonnet in it because, um, you know, they had a lot of money. And it's something that to be successful at, you have to have a lot of money um, because the costumes, like, one outfit can cost like three or four thousand dollars, and you have to change outfits in these pageants like three times. So, just to enter one pageant, you're spending ten, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars, and that's mm -hmm. not including hair, makeup. A lot of these little girls get um, what they call flippers, like false yeah. teeth made because they're losing their front teeth at this age, all that kind of stuff. Um, Jean Bonnet was amazing at pageants because a they had the money to make sure she looked better than anyone but b mm. she was also a gorgeous 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 little kid like and I think that's why the story um was captured the attention internationally of so many people because she really is just the quintessential little American girl she's got these huge blue eyes this mm. adorable angelic face this beautiful blonde hair which um a friend, um, I've read this book uh, called Perfect Murder, Perfect Town, which is uh, kind of like considered the quintessential book on the JonBenet Ramsey case. And there's a um, friend of Patsy Ramsey who said that um, she um, knows that Patsy used to dye her hair, like 
peroxide it blonde. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she wasn't actually naturally blonde. But anyway, <laughs> she won America's Royale Miss, Little Miss Charlevoix, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. Uh-huh. So those are just the ones she uh-huh. won. Um, she was very good at it. And, you know, it was competing in all these pageants, which is all those famous photos of her came from. And if you just Google JonBenet Ramsey beauty pageant, you'll get a hundred of these photos of her in full adult hair, full adult makeup, very mature adult outfits, doing very adult poses. And people have a huge problem with the fact that she was in these pageants. And a lot of people kind of said, well, if she was abducted or murdered by a pedophile, then you did this to her because you exposed her to this culture. But Patsy did say later that she was really confused by the backlash against the pageant stuff and she didn't understand why people got so caught up in it because she had been born and raised in the Deep South where beauty pageant culture is just part of being a little girl and that had been part of her life her whole life and it surprised people in Colorado because it's not such a huge thing there but um, to her it was normal and so I... I wouldn't put my kids in a pageant, but I also, for the parents who do it, I'm like, for some people, it's it's what they do. It's their thing that their kids do. I don't know. Like For a moment, just acknowledge the fact that you, as a child, paid money for you yourself to be put into the <laughs> photographic equivalent of a pageant, which then... Well, no, it's different. Like, pageant, like, I... I applied to do a photo shoot because if I won, I wanted to be a Hollywood star. That was just a photo shoot where I wore a tracksuit. I, like, sat on top of an upside-down steel bucket and held a giant sunflower because it was the 90s, like, and they took some photos. These pageants are very specific. Like, there's very, it's, like, very, um, it's almost like uh, ice skating or gymnastics, the way there's very strict rules about what is judged. You have to walk a certain way. You have to spin a certain way. You have to have a very specific kind of posture. You get very specifically judged on your outfits. You have to have a talent. So you have to like sing or do something. And, and so, yes, I wanted to be famous and I was a little performer whore when I was a kid, but pageants are a very specific subculture. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe because I don't think we really have it here in Australia. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure some people attempt to do it here, but it's certainly not at the level that it is over there. Um, but anyway, yeah, Patsy was surprised that people latched onto it after she died. And and also, like, what's sad is that if you, you can Google JonBenet pageant and find a gazillion photos, but you can also Google just JonBenet, um, like, I, I think I Googled something like JonBenet normal photos or JonBenet non-pageant. And there's so many photos of her just dressed like a no- dressed and looking like a normal mm. kid, where she's not, you know, all done up to the nines for a pageant day. And but the media never wanted to use those photos, you know, because they weren't the ones that mm. sell, I guess. Okay, so you want to get to the murder? And we know for a fact it was a murder, not a disappearance. Oh yeah, the yes, the, they have a oh. body. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Wrong story. Yep. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, on Christmas night in 1996, Jean Bonnet was six years old. The family had gone out to a party in the neighbourhood and got home quite late and said they put the kids straight to bed. So Burke to his bed, um, Jean Bonnet to hers. Early in the morning on Boxing Day, Patsy Ramsey was walking down the stairs uh, towards the kitchen and she noticed three pieces of paper laid out on one of the stairs and she bends down to see what it is and realises it's a ransom note. It's bizarre. It's two and a half pages of handwritten note. Mm. It's written on a pad and a pen that came from inside the Ramsey house and it said... Um, we are part of a small foreign faction who disagree with how the US runs things. They had kidnapped Jean Bonnet and they were demanding $118,000 for her return. And it says, don't call the police, don't call anyone, just get us this money and you can have your daughter back. Patsy sees it, reads, says she reads the first couple of lines, screams out to John. John comes running down the stairs. They run to John Bonnet's room, see that she's gone, and they call the police straight away. The police get there within a couple of minutes. Um, they look at the note. They determine that it's a kidnapping. And here's where the police pretty much start effing this whole thing up immediately. So what they should do at this point is lock down the entire house, get everyone out of the house, search it, and, like, go from there. But instead, they do a sort of search of the house. They kind of, like, look around to see if anyone's broken in. They um, cordon off uh, Jean Bonnet's room to, like, wait for the forensic team to come and look for DNA or whatever. But that's it. And in the meantime, the Ramses call a bunch of their friends. They call their minister. So all these people come to the house. Apparently because it's Boxing Day, a lot of the police aren't, like there's a skeleton crew on at the police department and um, they send this woman over who just sort of doesn't really know what she's doing. You know, you don't have your, but you know how they say you never want to get, uh, have to go to hospital on Christmas because that's when the worst staff are on <laughs> because, like, <laughs> all the good ones go home for Christmas. Mm. So I think it was kind of like that, but the police department. And so there's all these people just walking in and out of the house, like nobody's stopping anybody from going anywhere. John is apparently trying to organise for um, this $118,000 ransom money, which, by the way, he points out to the police is the exact amount he got as a Christmas bonus that year. So he kind of plants this seed like it must be someone who knows me or knows my work or knows yeah. because that is my exact Christmas bonus amount. Mm -hmm. So the police are sort of uh, looking around. They've got a forensic team in John Bonnet's room. John's organising the money. And then John is kind of like, oh... I think we'll take one more look around. So he takes a friend, they go down to the basement and there's a small cellar room off the basement and uh, John starts screaming and he sees Jean Bonnet's body in this little cellar room. He picks her up, runs upstairs screaming. Um, he puts her on the carpet in the living room. Patsy runs over and starts also like, touching her and screaming. Apparently she's uh, quite stiff, which means she's been dead for a while because rigor mortis has um, set in. Mm -hmm. um, there's duct tape over her mouth. 
There's nylon cord around her wrists and her neck and there's a blanket, a white blanket sort of covering her body. And everyone just sort of starts running over and touching her and, and like, this one police officer there is kind of like, um, like, hey, maybe don't, I don't think you should touch, maybe should people <laughs> step out of, and she, so she doesn't know what to do. So she calls the station like, they found the body and I'm letting them touch it and evidence is destroyed. My bad. So a lot of evidence by this point has been either diluted or contaminated, both down in the basement room and on the body itself. And, like, there's so many people there that it, it will be very hard now to, like, um, discount certain fingerprints because there's so many different people and DNA flying around at this point. The autopsy um, a couple of days later finds that the cause of death was a severe skull fracture. So some kind of thing had bashed her in the head and knocked her out. And then after that, she had been strangled with the cord. The story blew up internationally within days because of the photos and who she was. The Ramses um, got a publicist and lawyers in straight away. They did a TV interview before they even did an official police interview and, in fact, um, refused to be interviewed by the police at all for a very long time and they had very good lawyers who were able to avoid um, making that happen. The interview they did on TV is quite famous. Patsy is um, sitting next to her husband, looking quite distraught, doing that thing where she's crying but there's no actual tears coming out. So I think you can start to decipher what my theory is. Um, and she says, hold your babies close because someone out there is trying to take them. And so this becomes quite a famous clip. The case was never solved. So this was 1996. It's still considered an open case by the Boulder Police Department, and that's pretty much what happened. Uh-huh. Now, there's two main theories about what happened. Mm-hmm. One is that someone in the family did it, and they constructed the kidnapping thing to cover it up. Mm-hmm. And they think that if someone in the family did it, it was an accident. Mm-hmm. The other theory is that an intruder did come in maybe a pedophile or someone who'd become obsessed with her because of these pageants. And as the intruder was trying to kidnap her, something went wrong. So they killed her and then um, did the ransom note to buy some time and like took off or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I am a big believer in the first theory that (laughs) someone in the family did this. And um, I'll explain why, shall Uh I? Yes. So first of all, They went to ground the second this happened, hired the lawyers immediately, never agreed to be formally interviewed by the police. The police should have interviewed them immediately and separately straight away because whatever they'd, you know, you need to get them apart from each other and getting their sides of the story to find inconsistencies in their story. The police never did that. Um, They're rich and they're influential, so their lawyers are amazing. They become very, very close with the district attorney in Boulder So you know how law and order works, like the TV show? The police find the people who did the wrong thing and then the lawyers prosecute them, right? So the district attorney is the one who will prosecute them if they get arrested, but they're, like, really good friends with the district attorney. And so um, the police believe that the Ramses did it. The district attorney, the one who was meant to prosecute them, if they get arrested, doesn't believe they did it. And a grand jury was convened 
So a grand jury is when um, they need to decide whether or not there's enough evidence against a person to even go to trial. So they'll get a jury of 12 people, they'll present the evidence and they'll say, do you think this is enough to take this to a proper trial? And the jury either says yes or no, that's a grand jury. So a grand jury, uh, the district attorney did a grand jury because she had to. The grand jury said yes, indict them, bring them to trial. And the district attorney said, "Mm, no, I don't think I will because it's up to the district attorney's discretion. So the district attorney was like, they didn't understand the evidence, that jury, so I'm not going to actually do it. So Mm -hmm. helps to be rich and to have the district attorney in your pocket. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's some other reasons I think it was them. The ransom note was totally in Patsy's handwriting. They deny it. They brought in a handwriting expert who excluded everyone from being a match except Patsy. They didn't say that that meant it was definitively her, but it meant she was the one person who the handwriting expert was like, I can't say that that's not her. There was Mm. a couple of other things. Like she always wrote her A's in, you know, that way that um, they are on a typewriter. Like yeah. she all, and so, and so when they collected handwriting evidence um, of all of her stuff that she'd written down before the murder, all her A's were like that, right? And the A's were like that in the ransom note. But then everything she started writing after the murder, she'd changed the way she wrote her A's to just regular little cursive A's. And there were even points where, they'd um they were looking at handwriting samples from like a couple of days after the murder and she'd written the a the original way but then gone over it in pen Uh. like to change it Mm. there was also certain phrases that she used like there's a phrase and hence that she used all the time in like regular correspondence with people and and hence was used in the um ransom note quite a few times and it's not really a common like it's not part of common parlance no exactly um the amount of dollars i think to me i think that was an attempt by them to sort of throw a red herring into the mix because john specifically brought it up with them that morning he said oh that's the exact amount of my bonus. So I think he was trying to get them to start looking for people they worked with or looking for people, you know what I mean? Because otherwise, why would he have brought it up? It's a curious amount. When you said $118,000, I was like, is that for inflation Hmm. or conversion rates? Exactly. No, that was the amount. The fact that the note was long and rambling and it had also been started and redone a few times. So they found a couple um, of pages in the bin where they'd written, dear Mr. and Mrs. And then they'd ripped that page out of the notepad. And then they'd said, Mr. and and then they'd ripped that out. And then eventually it was just Mr. Ramsey. Um, And they were like, look, if somebody broke into this house to kidnap this girl, they wouldn't like do a few dress rehearsals of the note in the kitchen. Like, they'd be trying to get in and out as fast as they freaking could. So, like, and also it's two and a half pages long, which is bizarre. Like, it would just say, I've got her, I want this money, I'm going to call you later today, and then you'd get the F out of the house. So, anyway, that was another thing. The 911 call. Now, this is pretty damning, I think. So... Um, the 911 operator told police this at the time, but then curiously, I guess because the district attorney was on somebody's side, she never got called to be a witness in court or anything. Um, and it was only 20 years after 
the murder that um, when documentaries were getting made about it on the 20-year anniversary of the um, case, that the 911 operator who took the call from Patsy that morning finally told people what she knew. She's like, I haven't been hiding this. I tried to tell the police. They never seemed interested. So on the morning that Patsy called 911, she was like, somebody's got my baby, my baby, I'm going to come, you're going to come. And then, and, and then she thought she hung up, but she didn't hang up the receiver properly. And the 911 operator said as soon as she thought the call was done, she was immediately normal and she said, okay, we've called the police, now what? <gasps> <gasps> yep. And she said it sent a chill down her spine because she was like, the second she thought I wasn't listening, she goes, I knew immediately that that call was fake. Bogus, yeah. Yeah, but nobody ever talked to her about it. And when the call, um, because she didn't put the receiver on properly uh, and 911 calls get recorded, so the call was recorded and they got some specialists, like audio specialists, to listen to the call later and they could hear talking in the background and they could hear um, Burke, the son, try to say something and Patsy snapped at him and said, we're not speaking to you right now. And then she said, oh, what did you do? And then Burke said to her, why, what did you find? So that was all recorded on the call as well. Okay, <laughs> where John found the body. He had sent the police down to the basement earlier that day and oh. when they came up and said they didn't see anything, friends in the house said John said seemed really exasperated and a bit thrown by the fact they came up from the basement and said they hadn't found anything. And so he later went down with a friend, a friend who later, um, it was like his best friend and later turned against him saying he thinks that they did it. Mm. Um, he John later went down to the basement opened the side cellar door to the a little room that unless you knew that room was there that's why the police probably missed it because it's one of those rooms that you unless you know it's there you're going to walk straight by it mm. now the friend said he opened the door but it was pitch black in there and John started screaming my baby my baby but you couldn't see anything in there yet and so his friend was like what are you screaming about i can't see anything and then they walked in and right towards the back of the cellar room is where they found her. And so the friend was like, it seemed like he knew she was in there already. Mm. Another thing. I think Burke did it, the son. Mm-hmm. And here's why I think. Investigators found a few things. Apparently in their interviews of people, he was very jealous of his sister and they had a very contentious relationship, which is normal. I mean, me and my older sister, Rhiannon, fought like crazy. Um, But this was a bit weird. Like the housekeeper said a couple of times she had found that Burke had done a big shit in JonBenet's bed. (laughs) My sister did some weird stuff to me, but she never shit in my bed. (laughs) And you shit at your own bed, but never anyone else's. Yeah, (laughs) I, I did that myself. Apparently he could be quite violent with her, like um, in quite nasty ways. Um, Also, a police investigator, when they were going through the house, found in the office a child psychology book um, and the page inside had been bookmarked, a page inside had been bookmarked and that page was all about um, violent sexual tendencies in children and incest. 
So oh. someone in the house was reading up on something. Mm-hmm. Now, there was milk and pineapple. This is all, can I just say, all allegedly, all just Rosie's alleged theories. So just allegedly. But based on evidence. Based on what I've read and interpreted. Uh-huh. This is what I think. Mm-hmm. So there was milk and pineapple in JonBenet's stomach, which um, she had to have eaten late that night because the of where how far along in digestion it was. She couldn't have had it at the party. She had to have had it late that night. And that morning there was a bowl on the kitchen counter with a big serving spoon in it and a little bit of leftover milk, which does remind me of something kids would do, like when you're, you know, 10 or whatever or 9 and you just grab a bowl and, of course, you just get a big serving spoon. Like you don't really... Anyway, um... I think this is a theory that a lot of um, investigators have, and I think this is what I think is probably most likely happened. I think Burke snuck down in the middle of the night to make a snack, and he made pineapple and milk in a bowl, and then he's sitting there eating it with a big spoon. John mm-hmm. Bonet came down and wanted some. Mm-hmm. She maybe grabbed some. I don't know. He got the shits, whacked her really hard over the head with something and mm. caused the skull fracture. And then, and I don't think he meant to do it, they found a really heavy torch sitting on the bench, like one of those ones that, like, you know, those ads where the trucks drive over them and, you know, yeah, yeah. from the 90s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think he whacked her and she, like, collapsed and he freaked out, ran up and told his parents. And the parents, who didn't want to lose both their kids to this accident set up the rest of, like, the kidnapping gone wrong. Uh-huh. Did the strangulation, set it all up downstairs. They expected the police to find her straight away, but they didn't. So then later in the day, John eventually had to go down to the basement and find her himself. That's a pretty popular, prominent theory among world-renowned investigators. Mm-hmm. Um the Ramseys say the police were so fixated on them that they never looked credibly at any other suspects. The mm. police say the Ramseys surrounded themselves with lawyers immediately, got in the pocket of the district attorney, and the district def- attorney refused to prosecute them even when a grand jury said they should. Um, and it even got to the point where Patsy died in 2006 of ovarian cancer. And after her death, the district attorney's office in Boulder um, officially exonerated the Ramses, apologising to them, saying, and I'll read this quote, the match of male DNA on two separate items of clothing worn by the victim at the time of the murder makes it clear to us that an unknown male handled these items. And the DA who um, did that exoneration was the DA that they were best friends with. Now, but the clothing they were talking about with the foreign DNA on it was John Bonet's undies. And the foreign DNA wasn't a full DNA profile. It was just like a tiny little, like you can either have a full DNA profile of someone, which is like a lot of DNA, like a hair or a fingernail or something. This was literally like a cell of a cell of a cell. It was the tiniest little bit of DNA. So the police bought the exact same pair of undies, fresh, Mm -hmm. opened the packet, tested it, found the same kind of DNA fragments on it, 
So they think it's like probably just someone who handled it in the factory or put mm-hmm. it in the package. or So the DA basically exonerated the family after Patsy's death based on the fact that there was a tiny, tiny bit of foreign DNA on her clothes and in her undies that would be found on anybody's clothes and undies when you just bought it from a store. This wow. is what money buys you. Okay, so... Allegedly, ask, allegedly. mean if they're exonerated, is that a permanent state? Like you can't backtrack on that. You've been exonerated and you can never then be called in um, to be questioned again? I don't know. I don't think so. I think um, the only way double jeopardy applies, which is like where you can't be tried for the same thing twice, is if you were tried originally. And found guilty. Yeah, and found guilty. So they yeah. have, yeah. So I don't, I think they could, if some kind of evidence just popped up out of somewhere magically, they, I think they could still get in trouble mm-hmm. in theory. Um, John Ramsey and Burke pretty much dropped off the radar after Patsy's death. But on the 20-year anniversary of Jean Bonnet's death, so that was 2016, mm-hmm. um, there were a lot... Oh, no, wait, was that the 30 year? 96, 2006? No, she would be 30 years old now if she was born in 1990 and she, yeah, 20-year anniversary of death. 20-year was 2016, 2016. yes. Just, du- just double-checking my maths. <laughs> so... 2016 was the 20-year anniversary, so there was a lot of docos revisiting the story and a lot of interest in it, like where are they now, what's going on. There was a documentary on CBS called The Case of John Bonet Ramsey, which got some of the best FBI forensic just investigator, like, you know, handwriting experts, blood spatter experts, like all the best people in the world, they got them together and they got them to go completely over the case to see what they think happened. They came to the conclusion that Burke did it, that he just got angry with her and hit her with something and um, the parents covered it up to protect their son. Mm-hmm. Um, Burke um, did a interview with Dr Phil, which did not go well because he's an odd man. He um, was very awkward on camera. He uh, kept smiling at weird times. He didn't seem very convincing. And after the interview, everyone was saying, well, he did it. It's obvious that he did it. Um, And people asked Dr. Phil, like, after you interviewed him, do you think he did it? And Dr. Phil said, look, I don't... He didn't say whether or not he thought Burke did it. But he did say it's unfair to judge whether or not he did it based on that interview because some people are just socially awkward, some people are very shy, they get nervous in front of the camera, he clearly was. Like, you can't say Mm. whether or not someone is a murderer based on them being awkward on camera. But he was very awkward on camera, you can watch the interview. Mm. Um, Burke sued CBS over the documentary that said he did it for, like, he sued CBS He sued the cleaners at CBS. He sued the cousins of the cleaners at CBS. He sued people who have once walked past the building. Like, Burke (laughs) sued everyone. Basically, all the suing was for, like, almost a billion dollars, which is why I keep saying allegedly, 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 allegedly. Um, It never really went anywhere, though, and they apparently settled out of court for a sum that was nowhere even close to that, but... I mean, they didn't settle it in a way that got rid of the documentary because you can still watch it. 
Mm. Um, and so, I mean, that's sort of where Burke ended up. Um, he said in his interview with Dr. Phil that he thinks it was a pedophile that got obsessed with her from the pageants and then mm. broke into the house. There has been famously in the news a couple of pedophiles have falsely confessed, have said, I'm the one who killed John Bonet Ramsey. So they've brought them in, they've interviewed them, they've asked them for certain details. And there are things that, like, if they did it, they would know and they didn't know. And so it's been proven that they just wanted to get their names attached to the case. Mm -hmm. There are some people who do truly believe that it was an intruder and that the Ramseys have been unfairly maligned for this for years. Mm. I just don't think that's that likely. And because this is just the gist, I can't be bothered going into all the reasons behind that theory because (laughs) that would go forever. But Mm. I will say that that is a theory And there is just as many reasons as I gave you as to why I think the family was involved. There are just as many reasons to explain why it was an intruder. Mm -hmm. So people say that this case is like, um, what's that inkblot test? Rorschach. Rorschach test. People say this is like the Rorschach test of true crime. The Mm -hmm. way you look at the clues and interpret them and decide what you think it is, is, you know, everybody's different. Uh So that's the case of JonBenet Ramsey. Very sad. I mean, because I think it's so sensationalized and so nuts. And even the way we're talking about it now, what people forget at the end of the day is that it was a little, it was a six-year-old little girl who died. And it almost became like she was never a real person because it was just this story and these photos of her. And, and yeah, it was, she was just a sweet little girl. She became a doll. Yeah. She became a doll forever. Yeah. Um, that is really, really sad. I mean, I didn't even know that she was no longer alive. Um, mm. She'd been murdered in a really horrific way. Um, yeah. I'm still hung up on who the hell eats milk and pineapple. I know, that is a weird teacher. Maybe they wanted, this is their kids. I mean, maybe they wanted cream and they couldn't find any or I don't know. Very weird, but milk and pineapple. Cream and pineapple, that's bizarre. And they found Uh, remnants of it in the bowl, so, yeah. So, Burke's still living in Colorado? Uh, I'm not sure where they're living. Um, Not long after uh, JonBenet died, they moved uh, back to Georgia, I think. Mm -hmm. JonBenet's buried in Georgia and her mum is buried next to her. Um, I sort of tried looking into where Burke and John are and the latest I can find on anything is the interviews they did back in 2016. So mm-hmm. I don't really know anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other, what are your thoughts, thoughts, questions, comments? Um, how much older was he than she was? Three years. He's older. Yeah. Uh, I will say that in the documentary, you can see why he sued them. They um, hired a nine-year-old. No, wait. How old was she? Six. So he would have been nine. They hired a nine-year-old kid and they got the big heavy torch and they got an animal skull. No. And they got the kid to bash the skull a bunch of times to see if it was plausible that a nine-year-old kid could hit a skull with enough force to give it a fracture. <laughs> and they determined that it was. And that's and, and so you get to watch five disturbing minutes of a kid smashing skulls with a torch. 
But um, they do determine that it's very possible with that heavy torch to have caused a significant skull fracture. Okay, that's, you know, an experiment that could have been done behind the scenes. Yes. Right, <laughs> putting people <laughs> so, through that. Hey, I didn't, say it was, I didn't say it was a tasteful documentary. Oh. Well, and where do we find this documentary? Um, well, it's called The Case of JonBenet Ramsey, and it's a CBS documentary. CBS is part of uh, Bored Out Channel 10, so it probably is on 10 Play, I guess. Okay. I'm sure you could just find it on YouTube somewhere, but, um, yeah. Very interesting to watch. And we've all got time on our hands to watch it this week. Mm. And I also looked at, there's a book, a very famous book about the case is Perfect Murder, Perfect Town by a guy called Lawrence Schiller. Um, Also, I just went into the search bar in podcasts and typed in JonBenet Ramsey and listened to a bunch of different episodes. That's a good idea. It's actually a really good way of, like, researching things because, yeah. you know, there's a podcast on everything. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, the best one I listened to was one, um, there's a podcast called Generation Y. Have you ever listened to that? No. It's like a true crime podcast and these two guys just go through all the evidence. It's um, really interesting. It's, like, super long. It's definitely not just the gist. It's definitely yeah. <laughs> very detailed. Um, yeah, so those are the main things I looked at. But there's honestly so much. This is the kind of thing where you Google it and there's 10 billion, trillion pages of stuff. Mm. But um, I've been fascinated with it forever. It's one of those weird, if you're a true crime person, I think you're, you've are you read something about the JonBenet Ramsey case. Yeah. And yeah. is your theory one of the most popular ones? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the most popular one. Another one is that um, she, uh, that Patsy did it, that... Um, JonBenet like wet the bed or something and Patsy got angry and maybe hit her a bit too hard or, but I mean, I think the most credible one is that it was Burke by Mm. accident. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. I'm just reiterating what other people have said from everything I've read. That's what I think is the most likely thing. Everyone has a theory. So, Mm. you know, who knows? But. What do you reckon just from that little JTG? It definitely sounds like an inside job. Mm. And everything that you say seems to stack up as a very possible narrative for how things went, allegedly. 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 (laughs) It's really sad. I know. It's really sad. It's really sad. It's like a real tiny little human life, you know? And it's like people just, she gets forgotten. Like the name JonBenet Ramsey just makes people go, oh, that weird little beauty queen. Like Uh nobody actually thinks of it in any more sort of depth than that. And I think that's really sad. It's a real little girl. Yeah. Yeah. At least she never grew up to become Amanda Bynes. (laughs) <laughs> oh, my God, we've got to talk about Amanda Bynes next episode. <laughs> She's doing some crazy stuff right now. Um, okay, oh. so that was that. Um, we're recording another one now, so I'll see you in 30 seconds. Bye now. Love you. Mwah. Yeah.